Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, Tudum sisters, allies, and loved ones. Welcome to As Told by Childless Women, an oral history series that aims to usher our stories into the permanent archives of global history where they have always belonged. I'm your host, Joby Tyson, and the founder of Tudum Global, a media platform for childless women. And when I first envisioned this series, I knew that I wanted to take an active role in documenting the narratives of involuntary childless women and the childless experience. As a researcher, I know too well that archives have the power to preserve community memory and influence individual identity. Today's episode gives a voice to fibroids, hysterectomies, and mishappen uterus. Behind every childless woman, there's a story. And today's guest, Adina Helling from Georgia, is bravely sharing hers with us. Hey, Dina, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I'd like you to just um, tell us a little about yourself. Okay, so as you said, my name is Adina. I am 40 years old. Um, I am in Georgia. I grew up in New Jersey. I think I've been in Georgia now for oof, 21, 22 years. I work in the public health realm. So this is all near and dear to my health or dear, near and dear to my heart, women's health, things of that nature. Um, so I kind of come from that world and I'm really kind of passionate about talking to other people about health and making sure that there are in addition to kind of the medical side of things, the patient advocacy side of things and people being able to understand other people's real experiences about and with their health. Um, I have, in addition to the things we are talking about here and kind of to provide a little bit more of a backdrop, um, I also have some other chronic health issues that go along with that. Um, I have a thyroid disorder and um, I have a minor, I guess you could say, pituitary gland issue, which is also sort of endocrine issue. So um, I have that kind of going on in the background, and that's actually where my passion for talking about health so um, and kind of getting the oral history of these kinds of things out in the world started. Um, when I figured out that I had a thyroid problem, I think from the first time I noticed I had one, um, to actually getting it diagnosed, I would say it was almost probably 10 years. And that's a long time to kind of feel sick. And it was a very similar journey with my um, situation with my hit that led up to my hysterectomy. I knew something was wrong way before anybody ever diagnosed it. So being able to hear stories from other people along the way was really helpful in kind of getting to that point. Okay, so in a little while, we're gonna start from the beginning of your journey. 
But something that stuck with me when you reached out to me, you quoted, I wouldn't mind telling my story, although I tend to be pretty silent about it in real life. Why is that? I think because when I'm talking most times to people who are quote unquote healthy people, <laughs> people are not, it makes people uncomfortable. I'm really, when I talk about my health issues, I'm really straightforward about it. I'm really, um, blunt, I guess you could say, and that makes people uncomfortable. So I think when I'm in a group of women, especially women who I think in my field, I usually come across women about my age who all have kids and a husband. And so hearing about my struggles makes them a little uncomfortable and don't quite know what to say. Mm -hmm. So I tend to kind of, people figure it out that I don't have kids really quickly and that um, I usually don't say why. Most people quickly figure out I'm not married. And then from there it's, oh, are, do you have any kids? No. And usually they leave it alone that, you know, people kind of wonder, but they leave it alone. And then, you know, people can't always tell how old I am. My field is a very broad field and it's really hard to tell how old people are. So people will often think I'm still young enough that, oh, you'll have them in five or 10 years. Don't worry about it. You'll change your mind. You'll meet someone and change your mind. And I'm not going to necessarily always throw out there my age in the middle of a meeting or something yeah. like that. So that kind of comes into play where it's almost silenced for me before I can explain the situation where I can say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not giving birth. I, I, I'm not giving birth anything no not gonna happen that way for me um because people will assume oh you're what 27 you're gonna have them in 10 years you're fine and it puts me in an awkward situation so i tend to kind of try to shy away from it unless someone is in a situation where i feel like they kind of need to hear the story or need to understand where i'm coming from okay so when i start these conversations i like to first to just start from the beginning oh, you walk us through your journey from the beginning Sure. Um, so like I actually started menstruating really early. I think I had my first period when I was nine, um, maybe even eight. I distinctly remember being in pajamas that were like little kid pajamas the first time I had it. And it scared me to death. I didn't understand what it was. I don't even think my mom and I had ever had a real conversation about it because she wasn't expecting it to come on so early. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever remember having a normal cycle. Um, I don't remember not having cramps. I know some people say, oh, I've never had cramps. I have always had cramps. <laughs> um, I don't remember ever not having a really heavy day to where I couldn't, where I was afraid to go play sports. And I remember the first time that there was really a problem. I was about, I think I want to say I was maybe 11 or 12 and I had gone to a friend's house and I wasn't at that point yet where my cycle was predictable. <laughs> and we went, she had a swimming pool and she was having a birthday party. So I'm swimming. And her mom grabbed me and she said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And she whispered in the air. She said, why didn't you tell me you had your period? And I said, well, I wasn't expecting to have my period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, she said, well, we'll figure something out. Let's go. And so she went and got me another bathing suit and, you know, and she called my mom and she said, well, isn't she a little young for this? And my mom said, it happens. Mm -hmm. And never really pursued that there would be anything wrong. Yeah. But as I got older... I noticed that no one else around me needed to wear two pads when they played sports. Like I played soccer okay. and I remember being in high school and whenever we played an away game, I would have to put two pads on underneath and then like an extra pair of tight shorts and then another pair of shorts over that just in case. Mm -hmm. No one else was doing that. Yeah. <laughs> no one else was doing that. And as I got older, I continued to have that problem. And my mom always wrote it off as, oh, you're just, it's growing pains. It'll get better as you get older. And I got, it didn't get better. As I got older, it got worse. Yeah. 
And the crazy thing is my mother the whole time was having the same problems. And so was my grandmother <laughs> and they thought this was normal. <laughs> yeah. So I went to college and, um, in college, I kind of remained in the same place. I was a dance minor. So I'm in dance classes, taking ballet and leotards with three pads on a tampon and two pairs of shorts. Wow. <laughs> my teachers are looking at me like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I never could tell any of them because it was embarrassing. Yeah. And I don't think I really realized something was really, really wrong until I had another, I had a female roommate who was a similar size. She was also Mm African-American. And she said, I don't have this problem. Something's wrong, Adina. This is not normal. (laughs) And so I went to the doctor. The doctor confirmed that I was anemic and that it was severe enough that I was anemic and that wasn't normal. His solution was birth control pills. Mm -hmm. So I... I went on birth control pills, never thought anything of it. Um, and I went on about my life <laughs> and what ended up happening along the way. Um, I was in a relationship. I thought we were going to get married. He was very passionate about having, he wanted a lot of kids. Like he wanted 10 kids. Oh, wow. kids. <laughs> and I definitely didn't want that. <laughs> I was closer to, you know, two, three, have a career, those things. And right around the time that we were kind of working through all of that, my mom passed away. And that tore that relationship up and it kind of changed where I sat with relationship to the idea of motherhood. And I actually, for a while, questioned whether I wanted to parent, have be a parent at all. And then I went in the other direction and I became really like, oh my gosh, I just want to be a mommy. I just want to be a mommy. I just want to be a mommy. The following year, my father passed away. And that even more, I was like, I have to have a family now because I don't have my family. So... And the whole time I'm on birth control pills because that's the only thing they told me could control my cycle. Yeah. I think I got to be about, I would say maybe 29 or 30, maybe even 31. And I remember I was um, in a relationship and my partner, when I would go to bed during my cycle, I would make him ball his fist up and press his fist into my uterus because it would hurt so much. The only way to stop the pain from my cramps mm-hmm. was to put pressure on it. And he was like, this, you're asking me to punch you in the stomach is what you're asking me to do. This is not normal. This isn't okay. And he said, one night he said, you know, I can feel your uterus throbbing through your skin. And this is all on birth control pills. Yes. Okay. And he said, I could feel your uterus throbbing, throbbing. Cause I didn't use the birth control pills to skip my period. I always, my doctor said, I want you to have a cycle, but I want to regulate when it comes and how long it would be. And for the most part, it was pretty regular and it was a normal length. It was just still very heavy. Okay. Um, and my partner was just, you, I've never felt this before in any woman where I can feel your uterus throbbing and contracting and he was freaked out by it which I think anybody would be (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think after hearing him say that maybe 20 times I went to the doctor and said okay what's wrong with me and the doctor said oh it looks like you know you might have some fibroids I don't think they're a big deal yet um we'll keep an eye on them so we kept an eye on them and they were fine for a couple of years. And then I noticed one day, um, obviously I'm sitting down so you can't really see it here. I've never been, I'm kind of hourglass shaped. So I've never really had a big stomach. I've always had more in the hips and thighs. And one day I looked and I said, you know, my stomach looks funny. Mm-hmm. It looked like I was getting fat, but only in my stomach. Like everything else was the same size, but my stomach was 
compared to what it would normally look like was, was huge. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, so I went back to the doctor. And the doctor said, well, <laughs> remember those fibroids we were talking about? Mm-hmm. They've grown. And it looks like they're growing more. And I have, um, I've always been really, um, it's always been important to me to have a doctor who's a black woman. So my gynecologist, um, when I got older and could choose my doctors, was always a black woman. So <laughs> this woman is looking at me and she said, you know, this happens to us. This isn't unusual. Um, she said, we have a couple of options. A myomectomy is one option, um, just to remove the fibroids themselves. Okay. We had another option. She was to basically, I cannot remember the name of the medication and I couldn't find it when I was looking before we got on today, but um, basically a medication that would bring on menopause and would shrink them because if there's no blood and there's no cycle and no hormones, there's nothing to allow them to grow. And then she said, after that, we would do the myomectomy. Mm -hmm. Um, At first that sounded really appealing because it was like a guaranteed result the way she explained it to me. Mm-hmm. And she said, my last resort, resort would be a hysterectomy. So now you mentioned in, um, previously when you reached out to me that your large fibroids caused mishap in uterus. And I'm assuming that's what you were talking about when your ex-boyfriend felt the thumping in your stomach. Talk a little bit about that. So it's a combination of a couple of things. It's the shape of my uterus was wrong because of the fibroids and it was pushing against other things. So I don't have um, endometriosis where the scar tissue is growing on the outside. That's what they thought was happening. Um, But what it was, was that the shape of my uterus was so messed up for lack of a better word um, that I was feeling, it was almost pushing against all of my other organs internally um, and causing other problems. And so essentially my uterus shape, the best way, I I don't even know if I could do it with my fingers, but when she showed me the picture, it was like this. Hmm. It's supposed to be this way. It was like this. So it was part of it was sitting up way up close to where your diaphragm is, where it shouldn't necessarily be. And the other parts of it were kind of hanging out lower than it should have been. So I was feeling things in places where I shouldn't have been feeling them. Okay. Okay. It happened to work out that my doctor moved to another state and I ended up with a new doctor. Okay. The new doctor took one look at me and she said, they told you you could have a myomectomy? And I said, yeah, that's what I, that was what I was coming here for, <laughs> the consultation for the myomectomy. Mm-hmm. She said, let me do some more imaging. And so she did the external ultrasound that you see pregnant women get. And then she did the um, transvaginal where they use the internal probe to get the color. And she showed me the pictures and they were huge. I had a fibroid that was about the size of a grapefruit and then two smaller ones that were like about lemon sized. I'm working full time at this point. I'm single. So I'm the only income in the house. Um, mm-hmm. I had minimal PTO with the job because I think I had only started my job maybe a year prior. So I hadn't even really built up any significant PTO. So I'm sitting here and she's saying, I really think you're going to have to have a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, doesn't that, isn't that really unhealthy? I'm young. I'm only, you know, I'm at the point when we're having this conversation, I think I was 34 and I would have been 35 when I was getting ready to have it. Okay. And she said, no, you know, we can, we can do it and keep your, you can keep your ovaries. So you'll go through life with a normal hormonal cycle, but you won't be able to have a uterus any longer and it'll stop the problems. And I really hesitated because I'm still in my head thinking, I really want to have kids. I want to get married one day and I want to be able to have kids. So I hesitated and 
this hesitation took several months. It wasn't like a two week hesitation. It was a lot of time of me sitting here and thinking I'm in a, I was kind of in a casual relationship, not necessarily at a point where I was like, oh, this is going to be my husband. I can have this conversation with him. Um, and so I really had to think through, okay, well, can I afford to, you know, kind of harvest my eggs and then just put them in storage and hope for the best, freeze my eggs and hope for the best. I realized I could, I could afford it, but I'm, I would at 35, they already tell you, you know, you're not going to have a ton of success mm -hmm. at 35 with harvesting eggs. So I'm thinking through that. I'm thinking through all these other things and I'm realizing I don't really have a partner to talk about this with. So I am making decisions for a partner who doesn't exist yeah. and myself. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, these fibroids are getting bigger and bigger. I think when I went in, the best reference that they ever gave me was to talk about it from the point of view of a pregnancy, which I think is ironic because it's terrible. In pregnancy terms, but the reference she gave me is when I started, I was at about, when she first saw me, the new doctor, I think she said I was at about 12 weeks. I measured at 12 weeks. By the time I had my hysterectomy, I was measuring at something like 24 or 26 weeks. So my stomach was, I was showing, like, I looked like I was pregnant and people definitely thought I was lying about not yeah. being pregnant. Yeah. Um, so at this point, she didn't feel that she could remove them? She felt like I, she said, if we did a myomectomy, mm -hmm. she said we could remove them. Mm -hmm. But the problem with the myomectomy was that when she did that transvaginal ultrasound, it was easier for her to see what was going on. And she said, you know, these are so big that they have change the shape of your uterus. You know, we all know what a uterus is supposed to look like, kind of this shape. Mm -hmm. Mine kind of looked like it had gotten beaten up and was in, I don't even know how to describe the shape, but it certainly wasn't anything like anything I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, and so she said, you know, it's not like you got pregnant and it just got expanded like it would with a baby. Mm -hmm. It has been sort of stretched in a shape that a uterus should never be. There are places where there should be softness, that there's hardness, there, it had corners, the uterus shouldn't have a corner. Um, so there were all these things about the shape of it that were also wrong. So she said, even if I remove these fibroids, number one, fibroids tend to grow back. And number two, your uterus, you might get pregnant, but you might end up losing a pregnancy because your uterus isn't even shaped properly anymore, well enough to carry a pregnancy. So as I'm processing all of this, they're continuing to grow, <laughs> mm -hmm. which means by now I'm finally like, okay, I have to do the hysterectomy thing. I think when I realized I had to do the hysterectomy, the turning point for me was I was working for this new company and they took us to a, um, like those outdoor ropes course kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in a blind panic because there was no bathroom. Oh, wow. So we left the office. It was like a half an hour drive to the little course. And there was a little, it was like a woodsy bathroom. So it was, you know, basically like a hole in the ground. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I remember being in a blind panic because I was going to have to figure out how to change this tampon and these two pads that were keeping me from bleeding all over myself in this shed in the woods. And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. Every time I travel for work, I am packing three boxes of tampons because I, at this point, was bleeding almost every day of the week. Um, I think I didn't even, it got to the point where I didn't even bother tracking my cycle because I didn't have a cycle. I just bled all the time. Yeah. At one point I was bleeding, I think pretty much in a, if you say a month is 31 days, I was bleeding 27 of those 31. Oh, wow. 
So when I got to the point where it was a predictable that I was going to be bleeding and B, I was bleeding in extreme amounts. Um, I said, okay, I just have to do this hysterectomy thing. I, I don't like it. I'm not in love with the idea of it, but this is what I have to do. Mm -hmm. I'm only 35. I have not gotten married. This is going to be a major roadblock to the rest of my life. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, we can look at harvesting your eggs. We can look at other options. You will continue to have your ovaries. So there's time, you're, you know, for you to think about these things, but you still don't have that much time. You're 35. Let's <laughs> be honest here. So, so um, I finally said, you know, I'm just going Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I'm going to go ahead and do the hysterectomy. I'll keep my ovaries for the sake of biology more than anything else. That's really what it was for me, was that the idea of going into false menopause and trying to manage that with hormonal, you know, hormone replacement while I'm already taking medication for a thyroid and a pituitary disorder. When my two doctors, my gynecologist and my endocrinologist talked to each other, they said, you know, the amount of medication and hormonal intervention we would be doing on her is probably not healthy. So they told me to keep my ovaries. My doctor, when she does partial hysterectomies, um, she takes out cervix and uterus and leaves ovaries. Mm -hmm. So that is what I have now. Um, and the last thing I could think of, it's so funny, right? I think it was two days before I had my surgery. I panicked. I had a blind panic. I called my doctor. I left a message with her secretary. And I said, I'm canceling my surgery. Never mind. No kidding. Not doing it. Yeah. And my doctor called and, you know, she knew I didn't have my mother and she's probably, I would say, I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's old enough that she would be like a stern older sister. And she got on the phone and she said, are you crazy? Mm. 
Have you lost your mind, girl? Wow. You are bleeding every day. You're so, she said, I remember her saying, she said, I just got your pre-op test results. They wanted to hospitalize you because your iron was so low that we aren't supposed to operate on you like this. You're going to get your butt in here and you're going to have this surgery. Now stop playing with me and I'll see you in two days. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, okay, mom, I guess that's uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, So that is how kind of my journey ran. Um, I had the surgery. It was really, I was, I, from what I have read and seen on kind of like the support boards and things, I had a pretty easy journey. Um, I had my surgery. I was up and walking around literally the next day. <laughs> um, the nurses had me walking laps of the floor. Um, the funniest part about that is they took me by the maternity ward. But that's what they did. Um, so that was a mess. But mm-hmm. as far as my physical, I was great. I just got up and I was walking around. Um, I think I was in recovery for maybe six weeks. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything. I'm an athlete, so I couldn't really get up and go to the gym and do things like that. But because I'm single, there were certain things that I kind of had no choice. Mm-hmm. So that I had a lot of help from friends who were coming and bringing me food, but there were a lot of things that I just either A, paid people to do like dog walkers and things like that, or B, I just kind of went against my doctor's orders and did them anyway because I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, I was lucky it didn't lead to any complications or anything like that, but um, here I am now five, five years later, and the only thing that has kind of come true from that that I expected was it has been a major roadblock to my dating life. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'm single now. Um, I don't anticipate. I don't anticipate that that will change anytime soon. There's nothing going on in my life that indicates. So, I have been. I spent a lot of time with my therapist, kind of figuring out what life looks like now, as not only childless but somebody who kind of, I guess you could say, is grieving the life you thought you would have and kind of transitioning into the life you do have. Um, so, I guess that's where I am now. I don't know if you want to. If so why, why do you why do you feel like it's a major roadblock in your dating life? I think, and I don't know if this is just the black community or everybody, <laughs> but I am still at an age where men are still want kids the old fashioned way. I'm not anti child, um, just to be clear, because I know there are people who are you know, yay no kids. I kind of am regretfully in this position, um, so I am not against dating men with kids. I'm not against the idea of adopting kids, things of that nature. I just don't. I just don't necessarily want to do that as a single woman, um, but. Often, I I anticipated that this would stop by this age, <laughs> but I am still coming across men who are in their 40s who want kids the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you're 40 now, right? Yes, yeah, so I'm 40 now, and I'm coming across men who are 43, 44, 45 who are saying, yes, I still want kids, mm-hmm. and I want you to carry them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> Even for women who are still, you know, still have their uterus. Mm-hmm are shocked when I say, no, no, men still are asking me to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been interesting for me because I've had some really confrontational men because I'm very upfront about it. I say it very early on, usually within the first couple of conversations because I don't believe in wasting people's time. Like, I don't want you to date me for six months and then, er, hold up, can't have kids. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I put that out there really, really early on. And I think as you get older, people talk about those things earlier on anyway. So I've had some men where I had one guy where I said it 
And because he asked about it, he said, oh, are you okay with the idea of having kids? And I said, well, I'm okay with the idea of adopting kids or, you know, fostering kids. Um, I can't have them for you. And I don't know. It was like he blacked out. Mm. And all of a sudden, the cruelty that came forth from him, I had to block him on my phone because the abuse that came from him for, and I mean for dates. Oh, no. Mm. I was called a useless woman. I was called... A fake woman. He told me that I was that I should kill myself because I didn't have it. He said, "You might as well have killed yourself because you're not even a woman anymore." Like no the, way. And it, I couldn't believe the. And this is not somebody. This is not somebody I you know went on many dates with for mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. This was somebody I hadn't even met yet. Mm. Oh. <laughs> we hadn't even <laughs> met, and the conversation came up, and it was all of a sudden the abuse. And I, he, I would check, you know my phone and see that he had I mean I don't know if he was typing them on the computer at the amount of time it must have taken him to come forth with all of that hatred was shocking um I think sometimes also I do even when they're not that cruel there is this sort of immediate I can see even if we get to the point where we're maybe two dates and then it comes up I can see the switch like flip off to oh no you're not right for me because you can't have kids mm-hmm. and I still find that shocking at 40 years old. Um, I wouldn't think that most men would still be looking to start at 40, but I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there still are people looking to start at 40. Um, so it's been interesting because I think a lot of times because I don't have kids and I find this interesting too, a lot of men who do have kids because I don't have my own kids and I'm 40 and I haven't had them, almost feel like, okay, well, I can't marry her because she's not maternal enough mm. to be a stepmother to my kids. Mm. Make that assumption. And they kind of jumped to that assumption. I said, well, wait a minute. First of all, I was a preschool teacher for the first half of my like adult mm. life. So I love kids. Um, second of all, I love kids in general. So yes, I'm maternal. I just don't have any of my own. But a lot of times I do see them jump from, oh, you're 40 and you don't have kids? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of men don't understand the medical side of it and really think I'm just making up some foolishness that they've never heard of. I, you know, I'll explain to them why. Because it does sound, I think, to some people, oh, you took your uterus out at 35? Why? Mm-hmm. And it's even when I explain it, a lot of times they kind of, well, couldn't you have just held it in or quickly <laughs> or stopped the bleeding. Not really. That's not how it works. So yeah. But it's been it's just been navigating those conversations has been interesting. Wow. I'm sorry that happened to you and obviously you know I'm sure that you are not useless and yes. you're not yes. a fake woman. And I just hate that stigma that's attached to childlessness. And so I wanted to also ask you about when you spoke about the hysterectomy, did you deal with grief after your hysterectomy and regret? How was that process? I had some grief. Um, It would hit me at random. So I would kind of, it reminded me a lot of the same process I went through when my parents passed away. So I had the immediate, you know, waking up in the hospital room and realizing, oh my gosh, what have I done? Where just like you would at the funeral, you know, oh my gosh, this person is really gone. It was that same process. But then what would happen is kind of the way I think like I would go to events and see father-daughter dances or things like that, and I would fall apart suddenly. It's the same thing with my uterus. My friends would say, oh, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, 
congratulations and smiling the whole time and then yeah. in my head i'm like i'm having a nervous breakdown oh yeah. my god there is definitely these kind of moments of where i'm happy for other people but it's very hard to um feel part of the crowd mm-hmm. where you know, it, it's, it hits really hard when I'm watching all of my friends kind of pick out baby clothes and talk about baby stuff and, oh, I'm going to, you know, we're having a baby play date. And I'm like, well, I, I, am I going to bring my dog? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think the biggest things that have hit me were kind of the, as I've gotten older and more and more and more people have gotten married and had kids, mm-hmm. I've still kind of stayed in the same place. And every once in a while, my friends will accidentally kind of nudge that feeling mm-hmm. um, well when are you going to catch up with us mm-hmm. never <laughs> you know i don't get to use that um i don't get to it's not a i don't i think they think of it still in a place where um i'm making that decision versus the decision is made for me for a certain extent mm-hmm. um, i've worked through a lot of the grief for me and i really focus on what life looks like now, what I've been, what I'll focus on now, what I'll do with my life now. I think it was very lucky for me to get into public health. And I happened to be, when I started college, I wanted to be a doctor. And then I realized it wasn't that I wanted to treat patients. I wanted to kind of work on bigger issues. What has been your experience existing in the world as the child's woman? <laughs> I think for me, where it comes up the most other than dating is in the work world. So. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned to you, I work in public health. Mm-hmm. And so right now COVID is my job. Um, and what'll come up sometimes and not necessarily just directly to me, but I notice it when it's done to other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, people will say things like, oh, so-and-so can work the late shift because she doesn't have any kids. She doesn't have anything going on. Yep. No, no one needs her, no one needs her at home. So she, you know, she can do this or she can work a double shift or she can stay up all night because no one needs her at home. It's fine. Um, so I think that's the thing that I come up against the most is like navigating life as a childless woman. There's never that room for, um, I don't feel well, or I'm tired or, um, I just need a break <laughs> it's because kind of people think of it as you don't have anything else going on. So you must be relaxing all the time. I definitely think that there's this idea that we're all super wealthy <laughs> and living a luxurious life where nothing ever is required of us and that we're never tired because we sleep all the time. I really wish that were true, but it's not. Um, yeah, yeah. And, I, um, and then this idea that you're not, you didn't try hard enough mm-hmm. to, to do whatever it was you could do to save your uterus or save your womanhood by being able to have children. That's that tie, that tie between being a woman and being a mother and that those are the same thing. I don't think they're the same thing, but a lot of people really do. Yeah. I'm so glad you touched on so many subjects that's, um, that we speak about and trying to break the silence and the stigma and workplace discrimination at times. And knowing what you know now, what piece of advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? (laughs) Well, get the hysterectomy earlier, for one thing, believe it or not. Um, I think about how many things that I didn't do Mm -hmm. because I was afraid of bleeding all over the place or um, being in pain. Um, So for one thing, if at all possible, I would have said, you know, get that done earlier. And I think I would have probably... I wish somebody had told me when I was younger 
probably even in my teens, that marriage and kids are not kind of the status quo. Like it's not, it just doesn't happen to everybody. Because I think where it was hard for me was that I never thought about it as something that doesn't happen. I was kind of raised with this idea and I don't know that anybody does this to their kids on purpose, <laughs> but no one ever told me that you could get to 40 and not end up married with kids. Mm-hmm. So when I hit 35 and I was still single and now I'm having to figure out, okay, I may never be a mom and I may never be a wife. That those two things for me were adulthood. Like people teach you that adulthood as a woman is wife, mother. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And I really wish somebody had had a conversation with me and given me role models for women who don't have that, because it was really hard at 35 to figure out what life looks like mm-hmm. when you're not fitting into that little box mm-hmm. that, that people say, because I literally think about it, that everybody says, when you grow up, you'll get married and you'll have your kids and you'll buy your house and you and your husband will do this. And no one ever says, well, this is what you can do by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even in the nursery rhymes. First come mm-hmm. love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage, which we definitely have to unlearn as a society. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that with or without children, we have meaning and purpose. So I like to ask you, what makes you happy? What brings you happiness? Um, I am, as you saw them earlier, I don't know if they're still lurking about probably the dogs are, I am a dog person. I was raised with dogs. So I've always had a dog except for when I lived in the dorms in college, they bring me so much joy. Um, I have a lot of involvement with different, I volunteer in a lot of different places. I do a lot of work with, I don't necessarily work with small children, but I do, I've done a lot of work with teenagers and youth. Um, I've actually worked a lot with teenage mothers. That's something that I just really care about because I have, I've had a lot of my cousins become teenage moms. So anything I can do to help that population, I actually did that for a living for a while, but now it's more something I do as a volunteer. And I like to work with those girls and kind of, kind of help them through adulthood, even though they have their children, they're still navigating for them. It's the opposite. They're like, okay, now how do I navigate? No one taught me how to be an adult. And no one taught me to have, how to be a mom. I figured mm-hmm. out the mom thing, but I still don't know this adult thing. Yeah. Um, I really am into, I guess you could say, being an athlete. I get a lot of joy out of my athletic endeavors. I have done everything from like trying out for professional cheerleading to trying to play professional women's football. I'm really into powerlifting. Oh. I run just about every day. I've done a lot of half marathons. So I try to keep, I really have always had I think my entire, not just my adult life, but even going back into high school, I've always had sports and activities. I danced for 20 something years. Um, so I was a dance minor in college. I danced after college. So I really do. I've always had these big hobbies that have held a place in my life. And I'm really thankful for those. Cause if I didn't have those, I don't know what I would be doing now. Um, those have kind of been my outlet. Those things have always kind of been my outlet to kind of keep busy and have things going on in life that are not related to just the home side of life. Mm-hmm. So have you figured out your life's purpose? I don't know that I figured out the entire purpose, but mm-hmm. it's so whatever it is, it's founded in this idea of public health. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really am lucky. I consider myself very lucky that I, 
I'm one of the only people I know. My career has been my career from the time I was a little kid. I the first thing I ever told my mom I wanted to be was I wanted to be a doctor who climbed mountains. So <laughs> I have always had this idea of medical, the medical world and the healthcare field, and I'm in public health. Um, I am likely going to do a PhD at some point in my future. I just haven't figured out exactly what it is I care about enough to like deep dive into and make my life for the next eight to ten years. Um, but I do understand that for me, the public health world is kind of my, that's where I belong and that's where I fit. And I think for me, telling my story is kind of my purpose, um, whether it's the thyroid, whether it's the hysterectomy, whether it's learning how to be an adult, because I lost my mom at 24 and my dad at 25. I had to figure out adulthood kind of by myself. So talking about what that's like with people is kind of a big part of my purpose. And I said, you know, I've been through a lot of really hard things to be like a lot of times when I talk to people and they realize, oh, you're 40, but you've been through enough stuff to be about 65. Yeah. Um, I think that might be tied to my purpose. You don't go through that many things to not share your experiences and let other people learn and grow from them. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you today for sharing your experiences with us. And thank you for sharing your story. Do you have any last words? <sighs> Just, I think I'd love to see all of us as women, especially those of us in the childless community, be more open. I know it's a lesson I need for myself. And I think, but being more honest about it and talking more about it and being comfortable in our space and being able to share and knowing that it's okay that, you know, Maybe we're not, maybe we're not, we shouldn't be so silent anymore. Well, I appreciate you and I will see you another time. Thank you All so right. much for joining us. Thank you. Childless woman, you're beautiful. Child-free woman, you are enough. This journey might not be easy, but we're in this together so we can get through this together by owning our voice. Thank you for your time and attention today. Please like, subscribe, share, and download this episode. From Tudum Global, I'm your host, Joby Tyson. See you next time on As Told by Childless Women. To support this series, please visit astoldbychildlesswomen.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.